It is really exciting to delve into where I believe God wants us to go. Um, how many of you enjoyed Sylvia that was here on Mother's Day? Yeah. I love her, and um, she brought such a concise, encouraging, prophetic word to mothers. But by the way, did you men get fed too? Hello. She did a wonderful job. And so, by the way, she was never a natural mother, was she? But she still knew about mothering. And so, after listening to her, um, I really believe that God dropped into my heart to deal with fathers. Um, I've spoke on this numerous times in different ways, but never probably the way that I'm going to do it this time. And I can tell you that um, there's been a lot of confirmation along the way, so I'm really encouraged that I believe that this is a timely word. You always want to know that you heard from God. Amen? Amen. And, and God really has confirmed in numerous ways um, that this is where I believe I'm supposed to go. So the father factor, isn't that a cool picture? Some of my greatest memories is with my, I tell her she's 13. She's almost believed she's 13. She's not 13, she's 15. And I remember in the pool, right? Higher, daddy, higher. And she was always a little freak like me. So I would toss her as far as I could in the air. And it never was hard enough and it never was far enough. How many are talking about dads? Those are precious moments. And so... If you were to ask me what is probably one of the major, major, if not number one issue today, is this. Is the dynamics of the, the, the family, specifically the fathers. And so I'm going to really unravel this thing for the next couple of weeks. And I really believe that God is going to hopefully show you some truth. Um... And let me give you a couple of disclaimers so nobody can accuse me of these different items. First of all, this series is not just for dads and fathers, okay? So women, stay with me. There'll be good stuff in here for you. You will get some really good... Th when, when Sylvia preached on mothering, I got some good stuff out of that, amen? So you're going to get some good stuff. We're not going to leave you out. Um. Every father, future father, whether we talk about natural or spiritual, from age 20, let's say to 80, you don't know it all. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You don't know it all. There are areas of your life that needs help, adjustment, correction, change, tweaking. You haven't arrived. So can we all be humble enough this morning to say that we don't have it all figured out. We're, we're, we are the clay and he is the potter. And there's seasons when he says it's time to go back on. And how many of you are always excited when that happens? Some of you go kicking and screaming and hollering and wailing. But at the end, it's worth it, is it not? For, the, for, the pot, for him to form us. And so we need to get better. Please know the difference between conviction and condemnation. Amen. 
I always want God to convict me every time I hear a message. Right? Condemnation does not come from God. It comes from the enemy, the father of lies. And so when, when things come to convict, the enemy likes to twist it and turn it and condemn you and make you go out without hope. This series is a message of hope, not of condemnation, but on the same level, men, it's okay to be convicted. It's okay to tell God you got to change. Can anybody say amen? amen? Christianity 101, you need to change. Amen. And so please know the difference. When the enemy tries to beat you up with condemnation, you toss it aside. When God convicts you, you repent. And you get right. You tell God you're sorry and you ask him to help you and tweak you and change you and adjust you. Amen. To be what God wants you to be. So this is a message of hope. Second Corinthians 6, 18 says, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So today I'm going to just lay some foundational truths. Um, I'm going to talk about natural father and spiritual father, and we're going to bounce back and forth throughout the weeks. And we're going to see how the way you were raised does affect your view of the Father God. Can anybody say amen? amen? And I have no desire to go back and to pull up horrible memories for you or for you to bring back bad memories of your natural dad. Listen, I don't want to do that. But sometimes the Holy Spirit brings things back up so that you can deal with it like we talked about and you can move on to understand it's still dictating the way you perceive and the way you see things are still being perceived by some of the junk that you went through when you were little. Amen. So stay with me. Don't get too squirmish and run out the back door. Because God wants to deal with some stuff and he wants to heal and he wants to restore and he wants to adjust. He wants to make you a good dad. Do you know when I started praying about being a good dad? When I was a college student. I would weep on my hands and my knees in my dorm. And I would begin to cry out about my future kids and grandkids. And I would ask him to make me the man of God he wants me to be. That's when it started for me. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. It was just God. In the midst of ungodliness and craziness and fornication and smart poke, you know, drinking and swearing. And I was surrounded by it all. I would lock myself away and begin to pray to the Father God. Let me be the dad someday you want me to be. Can anybody say amen? And I began to intercede for the next generation. That they would serve God, love God, obey God, and be perfect like my girls are today. <laughs> and I'm a perfect dad. They have no stories to tell you about of my weaknesses and my inconsistencies. And my, I have them. And they will tell you about them. I'm sure they will. And it's, be, you know what, I used to be such, this is probably with you too, Brian. I was always the cool dad. 
When teenage years arrived, what happened? I thought I was cool. And they would begin to say, Dad, you're talking too loud. Dad, you're too, believe this, too loud, me. You're too monstrous. You're too energetic. They might, right? All of a sudden, they're, I'm thinking, I can't believe anybody would be embarrassed of me. I'm very proud of my girls, and we'll talk about them throughout this. They do love God. They're not perfect. Amen? But they love God, and I'm happy about that. So let's bring up, I want to lay a foundation of some just pure statistics. Do you have those slides? There's a ton of them. Hopefully you can read this, and maybe I can too. It says, there's a crisis in America, according to the U.S. Census, 18.3 million children. One in four live without a biological step, adoptive father in their home. Consequently, there's a, there's a, there's a father factor in nearly all of the social, social ills facing America today. Research shows when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. I have a lot of these. Poverty. Four times greater risk of poverty. You hear that? Teenage pregnancy, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Behavioral problems, more likely to have behavioral problems. Child abuse, more likely to face abuse and neglect. Two times greater risk of, can you go to the next slide? Two times greater risk of infant mortality. More likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. More likely to go to prison. Two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. Do you think we have an issue? Bring up the next slide of a couple more. And a lot of these, if you go to the statistics, there, there'll be a lot of overlapping. But let me give you a couple more that are, that are amazing. 72% of Americans believe the fatherless home is the most significant. Did you hear that? Social problem and family that is facing in their country. Next. 75% of rapists are motivated by displaced anger that is associated with feelings of abandonment that involves their father. 63% of youth suicides involve a child who is living in a fatherless home when they made their final decision. 43% of fathers do not see their role as something that is important to their personal identity. Are you kidding me? 54% of fathers in the U.S. say that parenting isn't enjoyable all of the time. Well, wah, wah, wah. Put on your big boy pants. You made them, you take care of them. Can anybody say amen? Good preaching. We need some fathers and some men to be men again and to be godly men. There's many more statistics that you can find that will lead back to why we have the situations that we do today. Let's move on. So let me tell you where we're going to go with this eventually. And then I'm going to get into a few other points. First of all, um, 
I am thankful and you're going to hear. I'm going to be raw and I'm going to be real. Is that okay? Can I be real with you through this series? I'm going to be honest with you about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the positive stuff that happened in my life. Not to bring disrespect to my earthly father. But at the same time, you need to hear some of these stories to understand what God did in me and changed me and revealed to me and allowed me to be who I am today. Does that make sense? And so we're going to go through the roles of the father, the responsibilities. Of, and by the way, I want to say this. The roles of father and mothering do do some of this, right? Right. They're not all inclusive. They, they overlap. When we bring up some of these major things, mothers do these things, too. And some of the stuff that Sylvia talked about, the role of the mother overlaps with the father. We're a team. Can anybody say amen? amen. All right. We're a team. But some of the areas that we're going to talk about is the father being a provider, a protector, instilling purpose. Helping their children enter into the presence of God. Can I tell you my biggest pet peeve of parents? And that's not you because you're here today. Are the parents that drop off the kids and say, you know what? You should go to church because it's good for you, son. While I go golfing and while I go hunting and while I go watch the football game. But you scurry into church. Well, that's a great example. They should see fathers in the house of God raising their hands and knowing how to press into the presence of God. Can anybody say amen? amen. They see daddy doing that kind of stuff. They wake up early in the morning and they find dad's Bible open because he's been praying and interceding and fighting for them. They understand that dad cares about them. Yeah. Amen. amen. Those are the kind of things that God wants to instill inside of us. Amen? Amen. We have a responsibility as, as fathers, as men. And we're going to talk about that. One of the things that we're going to end on this series that's going to be awesome is going to talk about the power of laying on of hands as a dad and as a father. If I can encourage anything out of the young fathers today is get used to and let your children get used to you laying hands on them. Every day and blessing them and telling them how much you love them and care for them. My middle child, who I call my buggy. I'll never forget how when I would come in at night and she was so little and before I could even talk, she'd do this. She'd lean her head in because she knew that dad was going to lay hands on her. And begin to pray the blessing and the love and the prosperity and the protection of God on her life. And the peace that passes understanding. Because I knew that was the most important role in my life. Yeah. That I couldn't screw that up. Yeah. I could mess up a lot of things in my life. But I didn't want to mess up being a dad. Can anybody say amen? amen. Now I know we all have. We've all made mistakes along the way. And I'm not saying anybody here is perfect, and I'm not. But I'm telling you guys, there's something about a father praying for his kids. Can anybody say amen? amen. We're going to learn about that. And we're going to talk about that. Let me give you some foundational truths to lay this framework. Stick with me. All right, we're 1051. We're in good shape. Our natural fathers or father figures 
are to be a representation of God the Father. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to idolize your father. But I'm telling you, at least from my experience and doing a lot of studying and research, that at an early age, dads represent God the Father. Does that make sense? And if dads are not walking in the truth and the love of Christ and being changed by God, things don't develop properly. How many know I'm talking about? When you are one years old and when you're two years old and that little child looks at daddy, right? There's supposed to be this connection for them that it's a representation of how much God loves them because daddy loves them. So you've seen the statistics. So if dad's not there or if dad isn't there emotionally or dad's not there spiritually, some of you baby boomers and older, right? Dad might have been in the house, but what was dad's role? Dad's role was to work, come home, watch TV, beat the kids once in a while, go to bed. Mama, you take care of the kids. You love on the kids. I'm providing for my family. Well, that's great. What about getting on your hands and knees? And playing with your kids. What about some of my fondest memories until they got older was beating them up. <laughs> huh, Chris? And Chris was so relieved because she didn't get beat up anymore. And I don't mean beating them up. Wrestling, having fun, joking around, playing together. Amen? Listen, I had to learn... My whole life has been this, this whirlwind of work and family and ministry and work and family and ministry and different waves and different seasons. And I've had to learn to keep my priorities straight. Right. Amen? Yes. Keep them straight. Can I tell you something? When it's all said and done, all the trophies, all the business success that you've had doesn't mean a hill of beans. Two things remain, your relationship with God and your relationship with other people, Amen. specifically your family. Amen. At the end of the day, that's all that really counts. So make sure you make the most of your time. So please understand, and I want you to go to Matthew chapter 7 and just see this. Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Did I get that right? Yes, I did. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit before the, the main text here, but it's talking about natural fathers. Remember, we're talking about the correlation between a child's dad or father in the view of the father. Seven says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Verse nine. Or what man is there among you? Who is, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for his fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Amen? Amen? Letting us know that dads naturally want to care for their kids. And a father that naturally 
covers and cares and loves and prays and protects for that child, it is easy for them to move into a relationship with God. But a child that has only known abuse, neglect, anger, and rage from that father or that father figure, when we bring them into that place and say, listen, God the Father loves you, wants a relationship with you, they say, no, I don't think so. Because if he loved me, why do you allow the stuff that I went through in my home? Why was I physically abused? Why was I sexually abused? Why was there no food on the table? Why was my electricity shut off? Don't you tell me God loved me. Come on, you've heard this before out of people. And of course, we need to explain to them sin and depravity and where that comes from. And you begin to explain. But I'm, and it's not that they're hopeless. God can still rescue them and save them and cleanse them and deliver them. But it is more difficult to bring them into that relationship with Father God because they never had a good one from their earthly father. Does that make sense today? It affects everything. So there, God wants the man to be a man of God after God's own heart. If you're carrying a, a, a heart after God and that child begins to see that, it is so much easier for them to come into the relationship with God. And so we need to work through this. And the reason why I'm telling you this, some of you, have struggled with this because of some of your earthly experiences. And we're going to get into that. Number two, the family. I used to do weddings occasionally. And I have to tell you, and Chris will be honest with you and tell you this. I hated doing weddings. Confession. Why? I don't know. I hated them. I, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I felt like it was too much pressure. And I wasn't comfortable. And I, this is the God's honest truth. I would be more comfortable to speak into 50,000 people in an open air stadium than doing a marriage with 50 people in the building. I would break out in cold sweats. I couldn't think straight. I was nervous. I, it was horrible to me because I felt like that day was their day. Right? They don't get that day back. So for me, it was one of those weird things. I never enjoyed them, but I did them when I had to. But I would always say when I did weddings was I would talk about the origination of marriage. Where did it come from? It come from Genesis. It comes from God. And so I talked about the blueprint of a healthy marriage that it has to be biblically based. The same is true with fathers and mothers. That if he's the orchestrator of the family, then he has the building blocks to make it successful. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so when we look at passages, and let's go to Ephesians real quick, 5. Ephesians 5, and this has been abused by dumb men. And all the women said, Amen. Amen. Men are dumb sometimes. I'm a little prejudiced because you see what I have. I have women everywhere in my life. I'm surrounded, so I have to believe that God can use women, and they can. By the way, God has used so many women to touch my life and ministry. It's been crazy. So I want you to know something. God is no respecter. He loves to use women to do the, 
the work of the ministry. Ephesians 5, 22 through 29 talks about this whole, you know, the symbolic um, between Christ and the church and marriage and husbands and wives. And so 22 says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And we husbands like that verse. And you've heard some knuckleheaded preachers abuse that verse. Anybody here? All right. If you move down and it says husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. And it says, and to love them as Christ loves the. Can I just tell you something? Show me a man that loves his wife as Christ has loved the church. I'll show you a woman that loves to submit to that man. Because he's right. He's got his head on right. He's not going to be a a dictator in the house. He isn't going to be backhanding his wife. Submit to the head of the household. Listen to me. When you're in right relationship with God, you know how to treat your wife. Can anybody say amen? Amen. And then it moves down into, if we go to chapter 6 of Ephesians, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I use this one often on my kids. And honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you and you may live long. And it says, you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up how? Training and admonition of the Lord. Once again, can I tell you something? That if you are bringing your children up the way God wants you to, your kids for the most part will love and respect you. Now there might be seasons... Of sass, huh, Ella? We love Ella. Ella's way too much like me. She's got some spunk to her. Can anybody say amen? And so we're working through that. Can anybody say amen? Poor, my children will be on display these next two weeks. Maybe they won't come back. Mostly good. Um, but listen to me. The order, remember I talked to you about the order. As, as a dad, this is what I've always tried to do. God first, wives second, children third, everything else after that. You've heard my series on the church. I love the church. I'll always love the church. You see my kids, most of them were out till 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock last night. Where are they this morning? They ain't sleeping in. They're in church because dad's created that culture. Church is important. But let me tell you what, church is not important, more important than them. Do you hear me? And daddy's business and making money is not more important than them. Well, if I just become a success, a successful businessman, that was always part of my desire. I always wanted to carry the little briefcase and be this successful businessman, right? I had to die to that eventually. God has given me some success, but that's not my identity. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Keep your priorities straight. Everything else comes in line. Thank God for my life. After I got saved, I had what I would call some big brothers that stepped into my life. And then eventually a couple spiritual dads. By the way, I have great memories, natural memories of my dad when I was little hunting and fishing and 
with the family and doing things. So please understand that. But also, he was a result of his family. Do you understand that? He only did what he knew how to do. And I had to eventually just say, it is what it is. But what I could do is create a whole new culture for my family. Can anybody say amen? We're going to talk about that. So at age, let me just give you a quick story so some of you know part of my life. So after I got saved, thank God, and I'm going to probably see him today, a man named Dan Misick and John Black. I don't know why, just because that's the way the Methodist church did it that day. That Literally within days of being saved, I had two guys all over me. And when I say all over me, dude, I mean all over me. We sat down and we read the Bible together and they smacked me around when I need to be smacked around. And they taught me and they trained me and they told me when not to. They used to I had a horrible swearing issue. I swore like a sailor. And the worst was taking the Lord's name in vain. And I didn't even know how wrong that was. And I remember them just consistently until I had to train that thing out of me. And, of course, that was back in the era that, that all, all um, non-Christian music was to be burned. Anybody remember those errors? Man, ACDC and Led Zeppelin, you know, we crashed them and burned them and threw them in the air and got rid of all of them. Right? That's what you did. So I had these big brothers that took me underneath their wings and they groomed me and taught me and thank God. And then in latter years... I had a tremendous opportunity to be fathered by a man called Emmanuel Canastracy. That if I, if, I had, if I had 25 hours, I could not tell you the amount of stories and influence that he had in my life. Is that not true, Chris? The amazing thing about that was, and I want to tell you something that we need to be, and I'm going to, let me go to number, number four. I'm going to talk about that one. Let me go to number three first. Number three, another foundational truth. I will get back to that, but I want to stay on point. I want you to hear an observation. So I've been saved for 40 years, been doing, I would say, semi-full-time ministry back and forth for 30 years, almost. I've probably, part of my gifting and my call is, is, is ministering to people prophetically. That's just part of my call, part of my gifting. And I would say over the last 30 years, I was doing the numbers in different conferences. I've probably given between two and 3,000 personal prophecies. And that is, there's no boasts in that. There's no, I'm great because of that. There's none of that. I want to tell you something, what I've observed. In that, in that season of ministering to people prophetically, I would dare to say anywhere between 30 to 50% of those people had an inability to understand the love of the Father. They were all Christians almost. It was uncanny that as God, and let me just, understand, let me just explain something to you about the gifting of the prophetic that happens to me. I can be hanging out with you in the natural, and I can be seeing you just as a person. When God moves on me prophetically, everything changes. I don't see you in the natural, I see you spiritually. And so God reveals things to me and shows me things and opens things up. And it's uncanny to me, almost every time or 50% of the time, people have an 
inability to understand how much God the Father loves them. That simple truth. And so many times a prophetic word will reveal hurt and words and disappointments in life and family and fathers. And will go in and deal with that and then bring encouragement and love. How he wants to reveal to them how much he cares for them. Right? So I'm a firm believer that this is an issue because I've seen it inside the church and outside the church. I believe it's, pre- it's, it's very, very obvious. And so we really have got to grab hold of the, the love of the Father. But we're going to talk about how to do that. Number four, I want to tell you this. God is faithful to send us those that will help us. I preached... One of my favorite messages was divine appointments. And let me just say this to you. I've seen people, Christians reject divine appointments that God has sent into their lives that has been the worst move they ever could have made. Because of fear, because of hurt, because of whatever the reason might be. Let me tell you something. When God brings somebody into your life, a father figure, a mentor, somebody to help you and train you, and you choose not to grab hold of it, I'm just telling you, that's not a good move on your behalf. And so, one of the things that that God did for me, as I told you, is these men came into my life. I was 21 years old and decided to go to a conference, Christian International, Bishop Bill Hammond. Any of you ever heard of Christian International at all? A couple of you. Um had no idea about things and the prophetic and the call of God in my life. A couple things traumatic happened for that conference for me. Number one, people ministered over my life. It changed me, right? I got what was called prophetic ministry. God revealed the purpose and the call of God upon my life. I was never the same again. Changed me. They read my mail. I couldn't believe it. God instilled a new determination in me that I never lost. In that time, I also met this man called Emmanuel Canastracy that was screaming and hollering and running across the stage. Unbelievable preacher, apostle, moved. Anyways, something happened when I saw him preach. Fast forward that, that conference, I saw him in the elevator. I saw him at a restaurant. Like three or four times I saw him. And he kept saying, I can't believe I keep running into you kids, right? Eventually, I tracked him. I was like a stalker. I I got online. I found out when he was in, he ministered in Pittsburgh a lot. Every time he was in Pittsburgh, I was there. He goes, oh my, where do you come from? Wherever I'm in this area, here you are. I said, yes, I am. I came after him. And eventually, something happened. I don't know what happened. Something happened. We clicked. I remember the first time we had him come into the area. He showed up. We picked him up at the airport. He said, I don't even know how I got here. Why am I in Jamestown, New York? Of all places. Anyways, the result of that was monumental because of the fathering that he did over my life and Sister C over Chris's life. I can't even tell you the numerous life-changing experiences. I will tell you one. And give me, give me 10 more minutes. And then I want you to come up here. Me and Chris were at a place, a very dark place. 
and ministry and family, and there was just all hell was breaking loose in our lives. On 2 Street, I didn't know what to do. And I said, well, I told Chris, I'm calling, I'm calling Paul. I'm done. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I, I'm about ready to check out. So I get on the phone. I tell him what's going on. And he says, you need to get to California now. That's the way he dealt with me. So he came up with some painting projects, paid for our flight. And me and Chris flew out to California and stayed in his house for a week. Now, let me just give you a little background. This is a man that is pastoring a church of a thousand plus, is internationally traveling all the time, nationally traveling all the time, has an incredible itinerary, has incredible, has relationships in the Philippines. This is a man that has ministered to a million people in, in the Philippines one time. Actually gave the president a personal prophecy on a video. Names and the healings that he saw. This is a man that, that his wife was diagnosed with polio and was going to die in the hospital. And he came in, healed her, and then married her. Can anybody say amen? amen. Story after story. The long and short of it is, we go to his house. And for hours and hours and hours and hours of counseling to get my head on straight. Now, let me tell you something. There's no reason in the natural that he should have had any time for me. Me and Chris, we were nobody in the world of ministry. He knew the big names all over the place. He was in high demand. Why in the world would he invite me into his house and pour over my life for weeks? All I can tell you is a divine appointment. And let me tell you something. If it wasn't for him in my life, I don't know what would have transpired out of a couple of those situations. There was a ton more of those situations where they swooped in as, as spiritual parents and adjusted us and loved us and corrected us to go the right direction. Can anybody say amen? amen. And I'm just telling you that God wants that kind of stuff in his church. Not just natural fathers, but all of you men, when you get older and you don't have any more natural kids, guess what it's time to do? Raise up some spiritual ones. Because there's a lot of young men and young women that, that are hurting and broken and they need a lot of help. Can anybody say amen? amen? And that's part of the role of the church, is it not? God also gave us extended family in Pittsburgh and with a man named David Vogel that... Same thing, just different dynamic, but really helped me and Chris along the way. So be very careful. Listen to me. Be very careful about God, the people that God bring into your life. That it might just be, oh, you know, not a big deal. Because you never know if there's another one around the corner. Can anybody say amen? And I can tell you, I don't know what it was about this I knew that I had to go for it. There was something inside of me that said, this man has to be over my life or else Jeff may not make it. And thank God, it was a very, very monumental choice that I made. Also, I want to tell you, in the middle of being groomed by different people, there was a season that God revealed this to me, that my grandfather 
and my father, neither one of them walked with God, really messed up my understanding of God the Father. And when they began to mentor me and they began to correct me and train me, there were seasons when I would pull back and I would put up the walls and I would say, why are they being so mean? And I did not know how to receive from them until God revealed to me it was because I was still looking through the lens of my natural dad and, and my grandfather. Once again, it's not to diss my grandfather. My grandfather owned a bar. He was meaner than a junkyard dog. He scared me to death. The only time I liked him is when he was drunker than a skunk. Because then he was nice. But man, when he came sober, you better get out of the way. Because he would knock you out. And it instilled a fear inside of me of older men that that's the way they were. And so when older men tried to minister into me, fear would come up and I would block them and I would stop them until that was revealed to me. And I had to repent and be broken. And I said, God, forgive me of allowing that to stop the men of God that you put into my life to train me and correct me and to make me be what you want me to be. Now, just imagine if I wouldn't have got that revelation and I would have stayed where I was going to potentially go. Let me tell you some of my family tree lineage. There's addiction in my family line. There's poverty, there's sexual abuse, there's toxic home life, there's fear, there's false gods. You want me to keep going? That was my family tree. It's true. Once again, there is no dissing my natural parents. They were a result of what they were raised in. Anybody say amen? Amen. And I'm sure mom has had to deal with a bunch of that stuff also. But I had to make a choice as a dad and as a family, what would be the destiny of the next generation? Somebody has to say, I'm not allowing that to go to the next generation. Somebody has to pay the price. Somebody has to pray. Somebody has to bind the spirit of addiction never to come through the family line. Somebody has to lay their life down. Somebody has to get up at 4 a.m. and pace the room and begin to cry out to almighty God. Please don't let that happen to the next generation. I remember having a talk with my girls and they don't know this is happening. We're doing a Bible study in our house soon on warfare. So get ready. One of the areas that I could have done a better job in is teaching them how to war and to fight against the wiles of the devil. I remember having a conversation on vacation and I got a little annoyed because we were talking about some occultic activity. And you girls said, that's not really real. That's just kind of, you know, an old daddy, the preacher on vacation rises up. Oh, it's on. Let me tell you, this isn't pretend stuff. This isn't a game. This is demonic stuff. This is stuff that's going to come back. I, I want to wake them up. Right. Amen. We don't look for something weird around every corner. But the truth of the matter is this stuff is real. And we're launching them out into the deep and just assuming they're going to be okay. And they're getting torn to shreds. Tell me I'm not wrong. I did it last time when I asked about how many 19 to 25 year olds were here. And it wasn't good. 
Right? We don't want to lose the next generation. We want to fight for them. Let me end on this. Come on up so you make me get done. Romans 8. Are you getting something today? All right. Romans 8. And then we're going to pray. It's 8, 15 through 17. 15 through 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, did you? But you received the spirit of adoption, whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now watch this. And children of then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. For indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. This is how I want to start out this series. I want you to stay seated and I want you to bow your heads. And for any of you, I mean, in this room, there's a whole diversity of the way you were raised. Some good, some not so good, some terrible. You all have different experiences and memories. But how many know that Jesus said he came to give his life and life more abundantly? And so this is my prayer today. Some of you need to forgive your earthly fathers and father figures. Those that hurt you, abused you, spoke words of death instead of life, neglected you, perverted things. That was never God's intention. So this is what I want you to do. I just want you to be quiet before God for a couple minutes. Let him reveal and this once again is not to dishonor your natural grandfather or father or maybe uncle or maybe brother I don't even know but God showed me very clearly that there was so much brokenness that he wanted to mend today and it can only begin with forgiveness so, Father, I pray right now. And I stand. I wanna, I'm going to stand in the gap. And I'm going to represent any father figure that neglected you, or failed you, violated you. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to ask you to please forgive the offender that you might be free to have a new revelation of the height and the depth and the width of the love of God. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you as the great surgeon to go deep. Some of you have wrestled with this for years and it's time to get it behind you as we heard today. It's time for the past not to dictate your future. We plead the blood of Jesus 
the forgiveness of sins. But you be real with God. Please don't be fake. Please don't be manufactured and religious this morning. Be real with Him. Talk to Him. Tell Him you're disappointed and you're hurt and you're still angry. But you just want to be free and you want help. Maybe for some of you, you can only come to the place and say, God, help me to start to forgive the process. Let that ball begin at least today. Father, I'm asking you for a, a spirit of grace and mercy and unconditional love to sweep over your people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The father did. Taught the disciples to pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven. We have to have a healthy view of Father to be able to comprehend the depth of your love. For some, like Tammy said, it could be dramatic. It could be in a, or it could be a, a two-month process, a year process. Father, whatever way you want to do it, I'm asking you to free your people today. Because God, you want them to walk in the fullness of your power. And as we transition the next few weeks into the role of a father, I am asking you for men, future leaders, future dads, to begin to be convicted by God, to be what God's designed them to be. Some of them will have to go back home and repent to their kids. Oh God, that we'd be willing as men to repent to our family. God, I'm asking you to raise up a generation with strong fathers that love God, that pursue God, that hear from God, that are examples. When Paul would come to Timothy and say, follow me as I follow Christ. The Bible says that you have many instructors, but few fathers. So Father, I also pray that you'd bring fathers into people's lives to help them, to train them, to spiritually watch over them, not just naturally, but spiritually. Raise up a whole army of surrogate fathers that would help and instruct and lead and guide and disciple and correct and cover those that need help, that we would become the body of Christ that you called us to be. Father, we seal this word today. God, once again, I'm going to say, and I'm going to pray against the spirit of condemnation coming upon anybody. God, let them not take any lies of the devil from this message, but only truth and hope and life and newness would come into their lives and a new desire to be what God has called them to be. 
I'm asking you for a new strength to come upon men, a new determination, a new perseverance, a new drive to serve God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to be the godly example in the household, to be what God has called them to be, that they will experience a godly generation. Look at me really quick and we're going to end on this. Go home with this. I wish I had the statistics in front of me, but I was in a conference one time talking about generational blessings and generational curses. And it was a, a man that did a study of lineages. And I think it was, it was four to 500 people deep. I think it was almost six to seven generations he studied. The one was a very well-known godly preacher. The other was an atheist, a God-hater. Same, same period of time, I think it was from the 1700s. And he studied down, I think, eight generations. You would not believe the difference between the lineage. In the one line, there was preachers and teachers and lawyers and businessmen, and there was success all over that tree. In the other line, there was robbers and drunkards, and it was unbelievable. There was almost nothing good that came out of that lineage. Wanna know why? Because one man didn't serve God, and the other one did serve God. It went that deep. So I can tell you something, what we do today affects the next generation. Can anybody say amen? amen? Please go blessed. I love you and have a good day. Enjoy the warm weather. Amen.